It doesn't matter how old you are, and it also doesn't matter if you've gone to school. What matters is that you get to know people as people, and you make genuine connections, and whether you go to school or not, that you get the education and training any way that you can. One, two, straight ahead. An animation podcast where we spotlight rising black, indigenous, and people of color who are the future voices of the animation industry. I am Raymond Dozalanda, one half of your co-host. And I'm Yuki Okamura Wong, the other half of our whole host. Our guest this week is Angela Ensminger. She is a black writer and storyboard artist currently freelancing from the Los Angeles area. Would you mind telling us a bit more about yourself? Absolutely. So hello, everyone. And thank you, Yuki and Ray, for inviting me to your Wonderful podcast. Excited to be here. Yeah, yeah, excited to have you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So I'm a storyboard artist on Santiago of the Seas. I'm also a freelance writer on My Adventures with Superman over at Warner Brothers Animation. And previously, I wore hats on hats on hats. I've been an intern <laughs> in the development department at Pixar. I was a PA, a PC, a storyboard revisionist storyboard artist. I did comics. I did freelance character design. And I did freelance writing at Nick and also doing freelance writing over at Warner Brothers. It's been a wild ride. <laughs> Happy to talk about it with y'all. Before we get into all of that very good business, the way we like to start off on Straight Ahead is by playing a little game called In Between. We're going to give you two similar choices and have you choose in between the two of them and then kind of let us know why. Sounds awesome. Let's do it. Okay, great. Cool, cool. I'll start us off with the first question. Would you rather be running LexCorp as Lex Luthor from the Superman animated series or Oscorp as Norman Osborn from the Spider-Man animated series? Definitely LexCorp because <laughs> Lex... No matter how awful the man is, and he is awful, he always manages to come out on top, even when he ends up going to prison. He always manages to just look clean, look good doing it, just be an absolute complete weasel. Whereas Norman Osborn, he's talking to himself in a mirror. He's dressing as a <laughs> goblin. He's going around town. He ends up being murdered by a child. It, it just does not work out for him at all. At least Lex gets to stay alive. And there are people that still think he's kind of an okay guy. And he's still rich. So now all of you know my villain origin story. Discuss. <laughs> I mean, those are all super valid points. Uh, yeah. I want to be successful, rich, and look good. Yes. <laughs> yes. Go that, is, that is my goal. <laughs> also, I want to throw out there, Norman Osborn never became president. Exactly. See, he never became president. He never became an ambassador to the UN. I believe it's. I believe that's what happens in season he's three of Young lot. Justice. Yeah. He does yeah, so yeah, many yeah. things. You know, in Red Sun, he's married to Lois Lane. A, a lot of things happen for this man, whether he deserved them or not. Yeah. I think this says a lot more about me than I was intending to reveal. <laughs> that's okay. I, I accept my choices. <laughs> This is hard-hitting in a different way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I've got one last question for you. Would you rather protect the center of the universe close to home, like the girls from Witch, or go out and search for shards of the Shikon Jewel, 
like in Inuyasha. Oh, oh, but this is okay. This is hard. I love Witch, <laughs> which was such a good show. It's a great comic. If anybody has not read, it's an it's an Italian comic. It's by mm-hmm. the same team that did Skydoll. It's great. Oh, that's hard because the universe. I mean, it's the universe. That's amazing. But also the Shikan Jewel. I mean, you get to be in feudal Japan. You get to fight demons. (laughs) You get to hang out with Inuyasha and everybody else. I'm going to say witch. Okay. Because I I like (laughs) the idea of interdimensional, interstellar travel, Mm -hmm. being able to go to vastly different worlds, having those kinds of powers. Because if I'm hunting the Shikan Jewel, it's not a guarantee that I'll actually get powers. I might get an awesome boomerang. I might be able to blow up and fly. I might get a hole in my hand (laughs) or I might just be this half demon with a really terrible attitude. (laughs) And I don't necessarily know if I want to be that. (laughs) But you would be a witch for sure. I would be a witch. Yeah, that for sure. Because I know know what I'm getting. That's fair. I have a better sense. And to be fair, they're never... I mean, they might get defeated by a villain, but the demons in Inuyasha might eat you. Yeah. So oh, it's I don't have to gruesome. worry about getting yeah. eaten or ripped apart. <laughs> yeah, balancing the either the cartoon violence or the anime violence, which are massive <laughs> different scales. Although, fun fact, Inuyasha's of that show and Robotech are the reasons that I got into anime. <gasps> really? Sidebar story. When I graduated from college, I graduated during the first major recession after... 9-11 and Enron collapsed and everything was bad. Wow. Nobody could find a job. I had engineering friends that couldn't find jobs. We were all working in retail and at restaurants. It was real bad. And I was living at home with my family and I would come home at 10 and I didn't want to watch the news or anything with real people in it because I'd been dealing with real people all day. So I was watching Adult Swim and that's when I found out about anime and they used to show Trigun, Cowboy Bebop, Inuyasha mm-hmm. and Blue Gender on this loop mm. and it was fantastic. Yeah. And the first time I saw Inuyasha, didn't know what it was. I just saw there's this dog in this red robe with this giant sword and there's blood everywhere and I thought, "What is this? This is great. <laughs> this is exactly what I need to watch after the day that I've had." So I'd have dinner at 10:30 at night and just watch this guy chopping down demons. That's incredible. Oh man. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, every everybody has their own little gateway into anime. That was mine. Violence. Yes. <laughs> but but now I see the the beauty of storytelling in Studio Ghibli, and it's 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 all beautiful and nice. But also, you can do anything with anime. You can do anything with animation. Period. Very very true. Yeah. Hopefully, you had some fun playing in between with us because I sure had a lot of fun. <laughs> Those yeah. are awesome questions. Y'all ask good questions. Oh, good. Oh, thank you. <laughs> If you enjoyed today's in-between questions, let us know your responses, or if you have any suggestions for future in-between questions, contact us on social media. Can you tell us, Angela, how you got started working in the animation industry? I would be happy to. So I have an interesting career, and... Like several of your guests on your show and several people that I've worked with, I didn't start in animation. Animation is my second career. My first career was in publishing. When I was in high school, I was incredibly interested in journalism. 
and also book publishing. For a, a while, I wanted to be an author, and I still do. And that's what led me to my first career, which was as a circulation assistant for a business magazine company in New York. I went to the University of Texas at Austin and earned a communications degree. And then after the economic downturn and when things settled a little bit, I moved to New York with the aid of my family, which I'm very grateful that I was able to have that help. And I got a job first at a business magazine publisher, and then at an educational publishing company called Vault that turned into vault.com. I don't believe they have any print anymore, but I was Mm. doing editorial work. I moved up and became editor and I became incredibly bored because (laughs) what I thought publishing was and what it turned out to be was different. I thought it was going to be like in the movies where you're that woman in a power suit and you're walking around this glass office and you're going, print this, do this, write this, fabulous hair, cool jacket. Here I go with my awesome purse. That's not how it was. It was very Living your boring. Lex Luthor dream. Yes, I was. I wanted my Lex Luthor dreams and I was living the real, the real dream of, because essentially an assistant is like a PA, which means that's what you're getting paid to. And I was living in New York and it was very expensive and very cold, very hard. Nice. And a lot of street harassment was real bad. And I had weird neighbors. And it was just a weird, not great experience. What I realized, too, was, oh, I want to write and edit fiction. Mm. And here's the thing. When you're in journalism, when you're in communications, if you make up something that's called lying... But when you do that in film and TV, it's called being creative. And I realized, oh, I want to be creative and I don't want to go to jail. Okay, I should switch. And I remember when I was an undergrad, I was considering switching to an art degree, but I'd already been in school for three years and we had a very unfriendly uh, art recruiter in our art department at school that all the kids in art were afraid of. And I remember meeting her and thinking, I'm not afraid of you, but you're not fun. And I don't think you like what you're doing. So I wouldn't want to work with you because I can tell that you're not happy and I want to be with happy art people. And like I said, I was already three years in. So I decided, all right, I'm going to major in communications. I'm going to work in communications and see if I like it. If I don't like it, I'll switch to art. And that's what I ended up doing. And so what I did was I joined Women in Animation and Asifa East. And I met people that worked in comics and animation. And even if they were working on shows they didn't like, they really liked hanging out with each other. And they really liked what they were doing. And they were drawing all the time. And I was drawing all the time. And they were just Mm -hmm. fun. They were really fun people. And I got to go to a lot of events. I got to go to a lot of parties. I went to a lot of screenings. I did a lot of like life drawing classes. And one of the women that I met in Women in Animation was the one that told me about the Nick writing program. Mm. And I remember telling her, I don't know how to write a screenplay. And she said but you're an editor. That doesn't matter. You can figure it out. And I am eternally grateful (laughs) to her for telling me that because then I went, you're right. I am. And so I went and I bought a book on screenwriting (laughs) called How to Write for Animation. It's by Jeffrey Scott. It's out of print, but you can find it at eBay or thrift books. And I read that book and went, I know how to write now. And I wrote a Danny Phantom (laughs) spec script because this was back in 2005. And 
it wasn't bad, but I didn't know script writing format very well. So I wrote it in Microsoft Word using macros. I wrote that script. I had fun with it. I took a comic book writing class. Our comic book teacher had never taught. He knew how to do comics, but he'd never taught comics. So Mm. he used Mm. Robert McGee's story book as the blueprint for the class. And I discovered, oh, I, I would like to take a screenwriting class. So then I took a screenwriting class and thought, oh, this is great. And then I read another screenwriting book called How to Write for Fun and Profit. It's by the guys that did Reno 911. So it's super funny. Don't let the cover throw you off. It's women in bikinis serving these two guys who look like Captain Steubing from The Love Boat. Don't let that throw you <laughs> off. They donated all the proceeds. They realized the cover's ridiculous. But what they had said was... It's great if you can write, but it's also great if you can edit, if you can direct, if you know cinematography, because they said executives don't like to read. So if you can show Mm -hmm. them something and then tell them, I wrote the script about this wonderful short that you just saw, they'll be more likely to read it. And since I really liked animation as well, I thought, well, you know, I like storyboarding. I like comics. I like to write. I want to create my own show. If I learn how to board, I can write my script, board it out, show people an animatic. They'll go, this is great. I'll say, I have a script. Then they'll hire me. And it took a while, but that's essentially (laughs) what I did because- That's so much, That's crazy. Oh my God. It's essentially what happened. Now, granted, it took 15 years. So I like to Mm. use the, you know, Leslie Nope quote of, you know, how do you become famous? Well, just be really awesome for 15 years and then you'll be an overnight success. (laughs) (laughs) And so then I just went on a parade of sad, depressing jobs to try to keep myself afloat. And fortunately, my parents had moved to Denver at that time. So they let me move in with them because I was working three jobs at once. And they came to visit me and they said something very profound, like, hey, how are you doing? And I burst into tears. And then they went, oh, (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) So I was working seven days a week for a month straight at three different jobs. And they looked at me and went, you should move in with us and um, not do this. And then you don't have to have three jobs and then you can sleep. And I'm like, no, I need to be an adult and be responsible. And they're like, you are being an adult and responsible. You're not sleeping. Please come home. <laughs> so I laugh when I think about it now, but it was, it was hard. It was very hard, you know, because especially as like a BIPOC person or if you're BIPOC or, you know, family comes from immigrants or whatnot, you know, you unfortunately were stereotyped as, oh, those people, they don't work as hard or whatever garbage. Mm-hmm. And so you want to prove everyone wrong. But by doing that, you wear yourself into the ground. And I'm very thankful to my family and friends and mentors who taught me, hey, all that garbage, what they've said about Black people or BIPOC people, that's all trash. Don't believe any of that. You are entitled to sleep. You're entitled to food. It's okay to not work 80 hours a week. You can be a normal human. And I went from three jobs to two. And at my second job, I was doing SEO, which is search engine optimization, which is how your websites get on the front page of Google. I had started Mm -hmm. doing that. And it just so happened that our main office is in Menlo Park. And one of my friends on the IT team 
used to work in Menlo Park, and he had a friend who was going to Academy of Art University and through whose teacher had gotten a job at ILM. And I had told probably everybody that I'm going to leave and go to art school and become an animation professional. And so one day he said, you need to talk to my friend. So I flew to San Francisco because I had already applied to the school, met his friend at ILM, buys me lunch, gives me a tour. I see E.T.'s bike. I see, you know, (laughs) Darth Vader. I see the Yoda statue. I see Han Solo and Carbonite. I see the Scarelli brothers from Ghostbusters 2 and go, oh, I need to do this. This is this is what I need to be doing. I don't need to do tech support. I need to be here because (laughs) you guys are just making wizardry. This is amazing. And so he just told me about the school and told me about how many hours he had to work. And he was working super hard because he was going to school full-time and working full-time. So I don't know how Mm -hmm. he did it, but he convinced me to do it. And so (laughs) this is the not smart thing. Sight unseen, I decided to go to the school. So visit your school because I just visited the Bay Area, hung out with my cousin, drove past Pixar, had lunch at ILM, and then went to school without actually seeing the school. Don't do that. Mm -hmm. Actually visit the school. But I did talk to a couple (laughs) people on the phone. And then while I was in school... I met uh, Mary-Kate Dangoya, now Mary-Kate uh, Fredrickson. She had gone to SIGGRAPH and had met uh, Angelique Reich, who was, I believe, a lighting supervisor at the time at Pixar. And so the three of us got together and we co-founded a women in animation chapter because they didn't have one in San Francisco. Oh. So we called oh, wow. the leadership. And at the time it was Rita Street. And we called her and said, what do we have to do to make a chapter? And she said, talk to me. And we went, OK. And she said, OK, you're a chapter now. And then Marjane became the president and essentially said the same thing. So we formed a chapter. We didn't get a lot of support, but we also didn't get any oversight. So we could just do whatever we wanted. And because Angelique worked at Pixar, she talked to HR and they said, oh, we want to do more diversity initiatives. You can have your meetings for free and we'll provide food. We just can't provide drinks because people are in college. Mm -hmm. So it was a really hard sell to get hundreds of people to join our organization to go to Pixar for free. You know, basically just have to say, do you want to go to Pixar and hear Darla K. Anderson talk for an hour and get appetizers, college students who are living off of pizza and a dream? So we went from zero members to like 200 in like a year and a half. And that's astounding. Yeah, it was it was huge. It's hard starting up an organization, but because of that, that helped me get my internship unbeknownst to me because I applied online for a social media position, interviewed for it, didn't get it. But then when I got my rejection, I emailed the recruiter and said, well, I saw that you have an internship available. Even though I'm not a fit for social media, I'd love to apply for the internship. And they said, great. So then I talked to another recruiter and then I went into the interview. So I interviewed with something like seven people over the course of three hours because the way the production, yes, the way the production internship works is it's kind of cool, but also nerve wracking, but you're interviewing for every department. Wow. Damn. On the upside, they're very nice get a lot of water, get a lot of coffee, because everyone comes in, would you like some water? And I, I remember hearing this on a podcast saying, always just say yes, even if you don't drink it, which I don't know if that matters <laughs> or not, but it gave my hands 
something to do to hold water, you know, and to hold mm-hmm. my, my little portfolio resume that I had. And I just remember sitting there straight, just going, I, I am friendly and, and personable and I have so many skills on the inside. It's like, um, you know, yeah. but, but on that side, <laughs> yeah. it's like, I am personal inner monologue. It's all, everything's fine, but it went well. And what ended up happening was unbeknownst to me, the internship coordinator had seen me at all these women in animation Pixar meetings. And I didn't know because we had professionals, but we also had students and everyone in animation looks like they're 27, no matter how old yeah. they are. So you never <laughs> actually know who is who. And so mm-hmm. I'd never seen her, but I come in and she goes, oh, I know who you are. And in my mind, I immediately just went, yes, this is good news. <laughs> also backtracking a little bit, prior to interning at Pixar, and while I was in art school, I got a PA position at Learning Ally, which is a studio that does recording for the blind and dyslexic. So we record audiobooks wow. for the blind and dyslexic. It was very awesome. They are an excellent organization. Please volunteer. It is wonderful. Help our neurodivergent friends and our blind friends. It is a great, I cannot speak highly of them. And my bosses, they were rad. The volunteers are very cool. And the way I got that job was I went in as a volunteer, and as it just so happened, their PA was creating video game music. He hit it big with an indie game, and he got hired and went away. And so they met me, and they went, oh, you're really friendly. You should apply to BRPA. And I thought, my rent's going up. I will apply and be a PA. So I was a PA <laughs> for them for the three years that I was in school. And then that job helped me get a PA position on American Idol and that helped me get a PA position on wow. Dancing with the Stars and that helped me get wow. a PA position on a sizzle reel because all they cared about was you've been a PA, you have a car, you're not nuts. And so that also helped me with the Pixar internship because in my interview, I started to tell them about school, women in animation. They didn't want to hear it. They just wanted to hear reality television stories. And I had a lot of stories. So I just told them stories for 20 minutes. And that was the thing that got me my job was regaling them with American Idol stories. So you never know what's going to help you. That's how I got my start. I know that's a, that, that, is, that, is, that is quite a journey that we've woven here, but that is how I got into the industry. Your 15-year overnight. My 15 how, how you became a Pixar intern. My 15-year overnight success. But that's so crazy how much you've, what you did to get to where you are. And currently right now, you're like, you're storyboarding for the first time as a full-time storyboard artist for like Santiago in the, in the seas. How... One, how crazy is that for you? But two, how are you enjoying doing that? I love that. They're great. So here's the second half of the story, because there's there's a, <laughs> there's always a story. There's always a story. And I, I like letting people know that because I have had the great privilege of, and we'll talk about this later, but mentoring with Rise Up Animation and giving a lot mm-hmm. of talks to student groups and organizations and hospitals mm-hmm. and classes And I always like to make sure that I tell people, and y'all have heard this from other guests on this podcast, it doesn't matter how old you are. And it also doesn't matter if you've gone to school. What matters Mm -hmm. is that you get to know people as people and you make genuine connections. And whether you go to school or not, that you get the education and training any way that you can 
and you learn how to communicate with people because I talk to people that are 19, 25, 27, people in their 30s, people in their 40s that think it's too late for them and it's not. I didn't get into animation until I was in my 30s. I meet a lot of people that think I'm 23, I can't do it. And I tell them, oh, yes, you can. Absolutely, Mm -hmm. you can. So that's just a sidebar note for that. But how I got from interning to Santiago was after my internship ended, it took me a year and a half to get a full-time job. And that made me incredibly depressed because I came out of it thinking, I worked at Pixar. Everyone will hire me now. Nobody wanted to hire me. Nobody (laughs) wanted to talk to me. Nobody cared. It made me so upset because there's definitely a division in a lot of people's minds where they think, if you've worked in TV, you don't know about film. If you've worked in Mm. film, you don't know about TV. If you work in live action, you don't know about animation. It's silly because jobs are jobs are jobs, especially with production. There is so much overlap between feature production, live action television production, and animation production, having seen and worked in all three. Mm. There's a lot of overlap. There's a lot of overlapping skills. So you absolutely can. So don't let anybody tell you otherwise. But it was hard to convince people. But what I ended up doing, which helped, was I moved to LA. I got another reality PA job. I went to Mm -hmm. CTN. I went to DesignerCon. I started the Animated Journey podcast. I met a lot of people through various organizations and through the podcast that worked in the industry. I watched, I don't know how many YouTube videos to try to supplement my education because that was another thing. When I graduated, my art still looked bad and I felt really bad about that because I thought I just spent so much money and my art does not look the way it needs to look. I need to level Mm -hmm. up. So I did as much as I possibly could. And one of my friends recommended me to his friend on SpongeBob. I interviewed at SpongeBob, didn't get it, but then they recommended me to Loud House. And that's how I got into Nickelodeon. And then from there, I went on Loud House. I was a PA. And then I ended up getting to the point where I was training the PAs. I was training our new PCs and we got a new archive system. And because I had worked in IT, I really like computers. So I learned our archive system. And then I did a presentation and taught our team how to use the archive system. So when our PC left, I went to my production manager and said, I would like to apply for the PC position. And his response was great because we would like you to be our PC. And I went, yes, awesome. So that's how I became a PC. And also while I was doing that, Nickelodeon has Nick University, which are free classes. And it was started by our recruitment team. And my PM had recommended me for our storyboarding classes. I was also writing and illustrating Loud House Comics because Nick has a partnership with Paper Cuts And so one of our executives has said, anyone who's interested in doing the comics, talk to me. And Mm -hmm. I had also done social media art for our social media team. So I showed Mm -hmm. the comics editor the social media art that I had done. And he went, great, you can do this. So because I had done comics, because I was taking these classes and I was getting to work early and staying up late to go to the Cintiq lab. And I literally told everyone with an earshot, I want to be a board artist. And I did all these tests that's how I got promoted to revisions. Mm. And then with mm-hmm. Santiago, I had a friend that had been on season one who told me, hey, they're looking for new board artists for season two because not everybody can, could come back because there was a gap in between season one and then season two getting greenlit. So everybody had rolled mm-hmm. off. Our new line producer for Loud House was also the producer on Santiago. 
So I went to him and said, I would love to test for Santiago. Is that okay? And he went, absolutely. And he gave me the test and I did the test. And then a week later they said, Hey, they like your test. Do you want to come on the show? And I'm like, yes, (laughs) yes, I do. So that's how I got on Santiago. And I have to tell you, I have done at this point 14 tests. That was the easiest test I'd ever done because it was the 14th test. By that test, I knew what I was doing because I'll tell Mm -hmm. you what, Mm -hmm. first couple of tests that I did for storyboards, real rough, you guys. I look at them and I go, woof, this is, yeah, I get why I did not get hired. This, yikes, you know? It wasn't (laughs) until the most recent ones where I finally understood and from talking to people and having people review the tests and taking classes that I finally understood what I was doing. I have a question about that. You took 14 tests and earlier you had said, you know, after you had done all of your schooling and all of this, you know, you felt like your art wasn't where it needed to be was there at any point where you were like yeah like i'm at a good place i'll just keep taking these tests or like did you have to keep motivating yourself being like ah this is it's still not good enough like my my skills aren't where i want them to be you know how were you kind of self-motivating through all of this you know test and rejection yes to both of those (laughs) absolutely (laughs) so The level of anger I felt when I graduated (laughs) was palpable. I was so mad. I'm not quite as, with with distance and time, Mm. I'm not quite as mad as at my school now, but I was infuriated because I remember graduating, because there's this promise that school doesn't make, Mm -hmm. but it kind of makes, and we have in our head that if I get this degree, I will now get a job. The -hmm. studios will come Mm -hmm. to me and they will go, you have matriculated at university. You are now an artiste. Come and be an artiste. Very rarely is that how it works. The vast majority of people that I have met, their skills are either not at the level where they need to be when they graduate from school or their skills are at the level they need to be, but they don't know anybody in the industry or it's Mm -hmm. just a timing thing where they graduate and it just so happens that Shows don't need people right now, Mm -hmm. or it could be a combination of all of them. So for me, it was definitely this feeling of, I need to get better because I was looking at Instagram and Tumblr and Twitter and seeing what board artist work looked like. But it was this issue of where you know that something's off with your boards or with your character designs, but you Mm -hmm. don't know what it is, but you have enough of an eye to be able to tell this doesn't look right, but I don't know why. And what Mm -hmm. ends up happening is the more classes you take, the more books you read, the more practice studies and life drawing you do, your mind opens up and you begin to see what it is that you're doing wrong. So you begin to look at the poses and go, oh, it's because this arm is not foreshortened. Oh, it's because... I drew a grid plane, but this grid doesn't actually make sense. Or I need to just shoot some video reference of myself because I'm trying to use my real, real imagination. Real talk, though, reference is so helpful. Like, yeah. real freaking talk. I still do it now. I'm strugg- If I'm struggling doing a pose, I grab my wife or I, I have a full-length mirror in my office. So I just take a picture of myself if I need like to quickly do a pose. But never stop using reference. It helps you out so much. Mm -hmm. I am a huge fan 
of Ethan Becker. He has a fantastic YouTube channel. <laughs> Everyone should yeah. watch it. I'm also doing the Rad How To School Story Sprint. He's one of the teachers along with Justin and Chris Copeland, Megan Dong, Rad is there, Stephen Platt is there. They have a whole plethora of people. Video reference, film mm -hmm. yourself. It's great to use photos. Film yourself doing the actions, doing the scenes. Don't just try to picture it in your head because the problem that happens is we grew up looking at people. We grew up looking at the outdoors. So we think we know what things look like. And then when we actually examine what they look like, we realize that looks different than what I had in my head. And that mm -hmm. takes time. That's amazing. That's amazing that you also were able to like, yeah, you knew something was off, but you weren't able to know why. I think the thing I struggled with is that when you're learning so much in animation, your knowledge can be so vast and so like you can know so much. But the tricky thing is, is always having your hand mileage catch up to your your brain mileage or yes. like the knowledge that you have and that's the thing that i feel like i struggle with is that i learn so much i know so much through my peers or through my schooling or whatever but my hand is constantly trying to catch up to what i know and it's not mm -hmm. always able to replicate what i know because like oh damn the fries on is off but how do i fix it or like damn this is the pose i'm trying to do but how can i actually do the pose that i have it in my head or like i know i need a shorthand more but like what are the best economic lines i can do to make this pose read without killing myself trying to make it super clean with details like what's the best shorthand to move faster and it's just yeah that's, i feel like that's the thing i struggle with is like having the mileage in my hand or having my hand keep up with my brain mm -hmm. it's basically the the issue i face that is one of the keys of the artist something else that i kind of also want to get into is that not only like have you done art honestly you just 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 done so much but kind of getting back on the writing topic you also have done a lot of freelance writing uh for santiago c and currently for like Warner brothers upcoming anticipated dc series my adventures of superman how has that been kind of dabbling between story and writing it's fantastic it's fantastic and there are there are parallels and they feed into each other and mm -hmm. they help each other a great deal and my goal was always to board and write. So it's exciting for me that I'm getting to board and write at the same time. So that's super fun for me. I encourage everybody to learn how to write. If you even have the smallest desire to write, it's like art. There are so many resources out there. I highly recommend Script Notes. It's a podcast by John August and Craig Mazin. They're feature writers and TV writers. It's great. I learned so much from listening to them. There's also Paper Team. There's also Type and Tunes by Kendall Michelle Haney. She's a story editor. She's written for a number of shows. For example, The Lion Guard, Little Ellen. She's also a really nice person. So listen to these podcasts. Hear what people have to do. Read scripts. That's the biggest thing. Just read scripts. And the great thing mm. is if you type in a show and the script, you can find the script. But it's been really good. And the way that I was able to do it was I tried to study both at the same time. And that ended up being pretty helpful. So what I typically did, and this wasn't, this wasn't every day, and this wasn't even every month, but usually what I would do is I would storyboard in the morning in the Cintiq lab, and then at night I would go home and I would write, or reverse, I would mm -hmm. write in the morning and then storyboard at night, and then other times I would storyboard during the week and write on the weekend, or reverse. And I just tried to keep them both going. And also what I would do is 
If there was a competition for writing, I would focus on writing for the month. So for example, Universal has a writing program. There was the Nick writing program. There's the ABC writing program. Whenever something would come up for one of those competitions or one of those fellowships, I would focus on a script, finish the script, submit the script. Nothing ended up happening with the script, but I'd had a script. Hooray. And the same <laughs> thing with boards. When there was the Nick Artist program, when there was the Disney trainee program, when there was the DreamWorks trainee program, I would focus on boards for the month. And another thing that I encourage everyone to do that was super helpful, and you can do this now on Zoom, but I did this pre-quarantine was I had heard Mike Birbiglia, who's a comedian, I heard him on a podcast say that the way he got his friends to read your script, because it's hard to get people to read a script, they're long. And when you're a beginning writer, they might not be very good. So it's a big ask. You're asking your friends, hey, do you want to read 30 pages of something that might not be great for free? Yeah, <laughs> that could be a hard sell. So what he did was he invited all of his friends over and they would read the script and he'd buy them pizza and then he would leave for 20 minutes and let them talk amongst themselves. And then he would come back and say, okay, tell me your honest opinion. And it's okay if you didn't like it. And they would tell him and then he would take their notes and he'd rewrite the script. And I thought, this is brilliant. And I did the mm -hmm. exact same thing. So I invited my friends over, all my animation friends. I filled them up with pizza. <laughs> I printed out copies of the script. And because they're animation people, most of them said, can we do voices? And I said, absolutely, you can do voices. And they would do these fun voices. And then I would take a walk around the neighborhood for 15 to 20 minutes or sit in my car and listen to a podcast or soundtrack. And then I'd come back and say, you are all my friends and I love you. And if you hate my script, it's fine. We can still be <laughs> friends. It's okay. Please just be honest. And I would give them prompts too. I, I made a little list saying, you don't have to use this, but here's some prompts. Here's some of the things that I'm looking for that can help me out, that can serve as a guide if you need a, a point of reference. And they right. were situations such as, number one, does the story make sense? Mm -hmm. Do the character arcs make sense? Who is your favorite character? Who is the strongest character? Because maybe the favorite character isn't the strongest character. Mm -hmm. Who do you think the protagonist is? Because we mm -hmm. might write it thinking this person's the protagonist, but it might be a deep blue sea situation where you're going, that scientist isn't the protagonist. She killed all her friends by creating a mutant shark. No, it's LL Cool J because he's awesome. So, you know, you ask those kind of <laughs> questions. And then I got really good feedback. And that's how I improved my scripts. By reading scripts and listening to podcasts, and having people review my scripts is how I learned to write. So while I was writing scripts, and also while I was working on my storyboard portfolio, I started going to different animation organizations, both informal and formal organizations. And I met one of the former development executives at Nickelodeon, who then became a development executive at Netflix. And mm -hmm. I got to know her, and then about a year and a half after we had first met, we were having a fun lunchtime Zoom conversation because now we were in the age of quarantine. And she asked me how I had been because we hadn't talked in a little bit. And I told her, I'm writing pilots, and I'm working on pitching, and I'm working on my storyboard portfolio. And she said, oh, that's great. 
I'm a manager now. I would love to read some of your scripts. I sent her my scripts. She said, this is great. Would you like to meet with our management team? I met with the team and they said, would you like us to represent you? And I said, yes, I would. So that's how I met my manager, which is... To me, that is a true Hollywood story because mm-hmm. I thought the way I was going to get a manager was I will cold call people. I will go on internet movie database and find agencies and send them query letters. I will ask my friends about their manager. No, turns out someone that I had known for years had become a manager and then wanted to represent me. And to me, that just goes to show one, keep in contact with your friends and colleagues and peers. And two, be a cool person no matter what level you or other people are at. And so because we had a good rapport and because I knew how to write, that's why she wanted to represent me. And she's the one who helped me get the in with Santiago and the in with Superman, which then led to me being able to write. Obviously, you are no stranger to podcasts considering that you have created and hosted two of them. One of them being the Animated Journey, where you interviewed industry professionals, as well as the Glitch Checks Rewatch podcast where you interviewed the cast and crew of the show. What inspired you to create and host these podcasts on top of everything else that you were doing at the time? (laughs) Thank you for asking. With the animated journey, there were two things. The first was, I've always loved radio ever since I was a little kid. I used to do little radio plays with my little little radio in my room and I would get my little toys and I would do voices and enact little stories. And that's basically what I do now. Not a lot has changed. The second was Clay Cadis came out with a podcast called The Animation Podcast. And it's wonderful. It's still out there. All of you should listen to it. And he interviewed primarily Disney veterans. And I found it while I was in school. And I remember, though, listening to Clay's podcast and hearing all these industry veterans talk. And I thought, you know, this is cool, but I'm a Black woman in school And I'm not going to CalArts and I have not worked at Disney for 25 years. And it's Mm -hmm. awesome that these people have, but I need to know what the industry is like right now, because as I listen to this Mm -hmm. podcast, I am applying for jobs and I want to talk to people and I want to hear from people who are currently working in the industry. And at the time when I was in school, I didn't know very many people who were in the industry and I didn't... Oh, you know, none of my friends, we hadn't graduated yet. So we were flying blind. And when I was in school, I thought, when I graduate, I'm going to talk to all of my friends who've already graduated and who have jobs. And I'm going to ask them how they got their jobs and what they do every day so that everyone who's in school or wants to go to school will know what to expect. And I Mm -hmm. also want to talk to primarily women and primarily people of color and women of color because I'm not seeing them very much. I'm not hearing of them very much. And so that was the impetus for the show, for the animated journey. And it ended up, like I said, helping me to get a job because I met friends who got me board tests and friends who helped me get interviews through that podcast. And they are still my friends to this day and they're wonderful people. Mm-hmm. So that's how I did the animated journey. With Glitch Text, Glitch Text was canceled And everyone was devastated and incredibly sad. And I had become friends with several members of the team. And during quarantine, I was talking to some of the production folks and I was talking to Dan. And one Sunday morning, I woke up and thought, 
there should be a glitch text podcast. There should be a rewatch podcast. I love rewatch podcasts. The glitch text team is awesome. This is a fantastic show. I'm going to ask Dan and Eric if this is something they would be interested in because I'm not doing this unless they say yes. And I emailed Dan and said, I have this. And I I had written this whole proposal. I wrote this proposal email. (laughs) Here's how it would be done. Here's what we would do. I'm only going to do this if you and Eric are on board because this is your show and this is a celebration of your show and the amazing crew. And Dan Mm -hmm. read it and immediately went, yes, yes, absolutely. We will do this. And he messaged Eric and Eric went, yes, we will do this. And then they helped me get in contact with everyone on the crew who I didn't know. And then that's how the show got started. And it was a blast. I mean, it was just so fun. And Mm -hmm. a lot of the folks on the show, some of them hadn't talked to each other in a while. And they had worked on the show years before it was ever released on Netflix. And so for them, it was this huge reunion and celebration Mm -hmm. and getting to share behind the scenes stories. And then for the fans of the show, it was just getting to hear their heroes talk about the show. But also on the technical and the animation level, they talked a lot about how a show is made, how a production Mm -hmm. is run, what you Mm -hmm. have to do, how they did the special effects how they did voice acting, how they did editing. And so it was a lot like the animated journey in that way of education and learning different skills and learning how the industry worked. But that's probably really helpful to have it about one pipeline, one specific show. You, it's like as a series, you're talking about the same thing. So like if you're following along as somebody like a student or something like that, to me, be way more cohesive because, like, we talk about pipeline and stuff on this show, but so many different shows. Every pipeline is different. Yeah, the, the positions for like production assistant, production coordinator, production manager are all different on different shows. So it's it's probably better to have it just for for the one. Yeah, and plus, it's almost like a director commentary before a series. Mm-hmm. It's amazing because scenes that last for a second are so much work. And they'll talk about it. They'll say, this was so hard, but look how it turned out. It's amazing. Or they'll say, originally we planned it to be this, but now Mm -hmm. it's this. And that's neat. And they're such a wonderful team that they made friends with the animators at their overseas studios, which doesn't often happen. Not because Mm -hmm. people don't want to talk to people, but usually team members... The storyboard artists, the voice actors, the animatic editors, Mm -hmm. those folks usually don't get to talk to the animation team. Usually it's the executives, but on their team, Mm -hmm. they wanted people to know each other. So they knew each other. So we had animators from Canada and Mm -hmm. France and the Philippines on the show. We had the voice actors on the show. We had the production managers on the show. We had one of the EICs, the executive in charge of the show. That rarely happens. And Mm -hmm. it was, it's a testament to how beautiful and wonderful that show is that so many people wanted to come on, wanted to tell the story, wanted to see everyone they hadn't seen in years. I loved it. I had a great time. One of the things I kind of also wanted to comment on is like for the animated journey, what a milestone for you to reach 100 episodes for that podcast. We were talking about this like, you know, off cast, but even doing 10 episodes within a year or whatever, it's like a massive milestone. But you got to 100. Mm-hmm. How crazy is that? And how like amazing is that when you got to that number? I'm excited. That was my goal. I'm so excited for that. There were times when I wondered if it would happen because 
When I started that podcast, I was unemployed, living in a studio apartment, and I did it by myself. And it was very hard. That's amazing. It was very hard to, it's very hard to start a show. And I remember thinking, mm-hmm. will anyone listen to this? Will mm-hmm. anyone like this? And I thought, what if people hate it? What if internet trolls come for me and they hate the sound of my voice and they're racist and sexist and terrible? Or what if people call in and go, that's not how animation works. You don't know what mm-hmm. you're doing. I was terrified and people, people loved it. And I was so glad. And it was just such a boost of, of confidence for me personally. But I also wanted to highlight people that I knew they were great, but they weren't famous. And I wanted people mm-hmm. to know the majority of us are not famous and the majority of us are the ones that are making these shows. So here's who you need to hear, because this is the job that you future professional will be doing. And I wanted to highlight some jobs that I hadn't always heard on different podcasts. So it was a big deal for me. And one of the things I recommend and y'all are doing this is have a co-host because <laughs> I did the first 50 episodes by myself and around, I remember my, my other co-host is Jeff Schutze, who's an amazing mm. board artist. He's an assistant director now on Tuca and Birdie season three. Wow. He's fantastic. Oh, cool. We've been friends for years. We had met at a comic book convention. I used to read his web comic before I went to art school. And then I wow. met him at a convention and then we met again at an animation mixer and then we became friends. Mm-hmm. And the two of us and a few other friends were at Story Tavern and we were talking about all the different projects we were working on and we were all having a real hard time. And I told him, I'm having a real hard time with the podcast. It is a lot of work. I need help. And he goes, oh, what do you need help with? I would love to help. And I thought, editing. And then I thought, he won't (laughs) want to do editing. No one wants to do podcast editing. And I thought, I'm just going to say what I actually need help with. And I looked at him and I went, I need someone to edit the podcast. And then he said, I love editing, which is something (laughs) I've never heard anyone say that they love podcast editing. And I went, oh, you do. How would you like to edit for the show? And I will pay you in friendship because we're not making any money off of this. And he went, that's great. So he became the editor. And then I invited him to come on a couple of episodes and he asked really good questions. Uh And then one day I just looked at him and went, so you know you're the new co-host, right? And he went, what? And I'm like, yeah, the co-host. So then he became the co-host. Mm-hmm. And it made it made the workload easier. It made the podcast a lot of fun. And I was having fun before. But if you can, get someone to help you and get someone who's committed to helping you. Because a lot of people say, oh, I want to be on a project. But what they want is the acclaim and the esteem, and they don't understand that there's actually a lot of work that no one's ever going to see, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. they'll notice if it's not there. And Jeff's mm-hmm. the kind of person where he's a really cool guy and he deserves everything he's ever gotten. He's not looking for the spotlight. He's looking to help. And that was the kind of person that I wanted to be you know, helping me on the show. That's so nice that it worked out. <laughs> Highly encourage everybody to listen to both, especially the animated journey. I think both of them are officially wrapped, if I'm not mistaken. 
Yes, both of the shows have wrapped. I plan on keeping them on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Podbean, mm-hmm. in perpetuity. I don't plan on taking them down anytime soon. And in fact, I've gotten quite a few people that have messaged me on social media who found both of the shows after they were done and mm. who have said how much they appreciate it, which warms my heart. Aww. So they're still out there and the information is still relevant. So listen, yeah. plus mm-hmm. it's fun because a lot of the people that I've interviewed are now directing movies, directing shows, have pitch shows, their supervisors, their PMs, their storyboard artists, their writers. And so you get to hear when they were PAs and they, when they were revisionists. So that's really cool. Mm-hmm. So you can hear, oh, this is how they started. And now look at what they're doing. I can do that. I can follow yeah. that path. That's really great. That's exactly yeah. what we're also trying to do here with like this podcast that we're doing with Straight Ahead. And also something really quickly I want to comment on when you were saying like how a lot of work it is and like, you know, how easy it was to have a co-host and editor. I just want to quickly say, Yuki, I'm so grateful for you <laughs> for helping me out with this podcast. Because again, she's someone that's also super committed and also special thanks to uh, Ashley Leong and Edgar Ariano for like our editors that have been helping edit on this podcast Appreciate you guys as well. Yeah, I like nah, could not I mean, be possible without you guys. Honestly, on top of that, like Ray uh, is the driving force for this podcast. <laughs> I'm just gonna point that out because uh, he was like, "Hey, do you want to do a podcast with me?" And I, in my mind, I was like, "Ray's going to say something bad and embarrass himself." And somebody needs to be there <laughs> to make sure he doesn't. So I said yes. Uh- <laughs> She'll protect you. She'll be your PR um, point person. But for the most part, Ray does like all of the scheduling and really like he thinks about the show a lot and he puts a lot of effort into it. So in my mind, this show is really like Ray's baby. And I'm kind of like here to support that. So uh, I'm really glad to be along for the ride. And it's been it's been really fun. And anybody out there who's like, <laughs> I'm going to start a podcast. Uh, the best part is recording. It's the easiest part. Even if you think you're like the funniest person, it is the easiest part. The hardest part is sitting down and editing for 12 hours. <laughs> yes. <laughs> for uh, like 50 minutes of content that somebody will listen to while they're like doing something else. <laughs> yes, while they're doing the dishes. <laughs> yeah. It's yes. tough. Also booking guests, also mm-hmm. doing the social mm-hmm. media so that people mm-hmm. know that your show exists. Yep. Yeah. It's all a lot of work. <laughs> it is. It is. And then also just crediting Yuki. Yuki handles m- most of our social media and she makes sure that everybody knows when it's out. So like grateful for that. <laughs> But to kind of get back on track, uh, as we're kind of also like winding down a bit is one of the things that like, for those that don't know, one of the reasons like why Straight Ahead or why I had the idea for Straight Ahead kind of started during the whole like Black Lives Matter movement during Rise Up, also like, you know, Rise Up Animation happened. So much was happening in the animation space when lockdown happened and that so much studios were kind of jumping on and like giving all these talks, all these virtual talks and stuff. And it was super cool, like listening to like all like these industry professionals. And I thought it would be interesting to hear more from like younger voices and voices of color. And like one of the things that I really appreciate about like Rise Up Animation is that it's people of color helping people of color. And you, Angela, you're a Rise Up Animation mentor. Like how has that been being involved with that organization, but also like giving back to the community that you you strive for 15 years to break into and are working and thriving now like you're in a position where you're able to give back so much and you gave in so much like how how is that being a mentor i love it i absolutely love it and to all my mentees 
All of y'all are awesome. You're awesome people. I am so honored to be your mentor. And to Frank and Monica and Trent and Bobby, y'all are rad. Thank you so much. And to all of the volunteers and all of the mentors, I would like to add, we are serving the BIPOC community, but it's not just BIPOC mentors. There's also white mm-hmm. allies, there's straight LGBTQA. So the requirement is that you've been working in the animation industry for at least three years, I believe. So if that is you, you should apply to be a mentor. And mentorship is vitally important. Mentors and referrals from your friends and your teachers and your managers and your agents, that is the number one way that people get into this industry. Applying online is like throwing your application into an abyss. There are people that have gotten hired that way. And especially for internships and trainee programs, that is typically the way that people get in. But for regular jobs in the five years that I've lived in LA, I've met five people that have gotten jobs from applying online on a website and not knowing anybody on the team. So that's very small. Most people meet through relationships. And traditionally, because of the history of this country and racism, misogyny, anti-Semitism, anti-everything, it was closed. It was intentionally closed off. And that's the reason why we have the problems that we have in our country today is because all of that has risen up. And because we were in lockdown, everyone was forced to see it. People were forced to reckon with it. You couldn't pretend it wasn't there. And it's sad that it happened out of trauma and out of pain. But the beautiful thing is out of that We have Rise Up Animation, which is this beautiful organization. And I remember when I was nine, that's when I, that's when everything for animation reached its zenith for me, little nine-year-old Angela. And it's when I started to realize that, oh, all of my favorite creators, Walt Disney, Chris Freeling, Jim Henson, they're all white men. Not only that, they're all dead. So I can't even meet them (laughs) and ask them questions because they're not even alive. And I remember that just hit me. And I thought, okay, when I grow up, I'm going to be the black Disney. And then all the little black girls are going to see what I'm doing. And then they'll go, oh, I can do this job because I'm seeing Angela. I can do this. And then that expanded to all the little black boys can see what I'm doing. And then that became people of color can see what I'm doing. And then it just became everyone can see what I'm doing and I will help as many people as I can. And my focus will be on the BIPOC community and we will grow it from there. So this Mm. is something that has always been very deeply entrenched within me ever since I was a child. It's a big reason why I started the podcast. It's a reason why I was involved with women in animation when I was in college. It's important to me. That matters Mm -hmm. to me, getting to know people. It's a driving force of what I do because I love knowledge, I love information, and I love being able to share that as much as I can with people that are for economic reasons or social reasons or geographical locations, or they just don't know that this is a job and that they can have it. And you don't have to be white. You don't have to be straight. You don't have to be Mm -hmm. a woman. You don't have to, you don't have to be any one particular thing. Well, that's awesome. And before we get into our last question, Where can our audience find you? And is there anything else that you want to promote? Absolutely. So I am across social media as Sketchy Soul. I'm at Sketchy Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr. I'm on Instagram the most. 
I also have a website, sketchysoul.com. If you look up the animated journey or the Glitch Text Rewatch podcast across all listening platforms, you can hear those. And as far as my parting thoughts, I'll give some advice that I give to almost 90% all of my mentees at Rise Up. And it has helped them a great deal because it helped me a great deal. First one is you need to learn perspective. I know that you hate it. You need to learn it. If you learn perspective, that will make your life so much easier. Take as many classes as you need. Watch as many videos as you need to watch. I've taken four perspective classes. I intend to take more. It is a hard concept. Learn perspective. Second is work on your anatomy and gestures and cartoony drawing. Your drawings are probably too stiff. I'm just going to make that blanket Mm. statement. They're probably stiff. So work on your acting, (laughs) work on your gestures. Video reference will save your life. Start recording yourself on your phone and all the different positions you're trying to get your characters to do. Third one is hookups. You need to hook up your scenes because you're going from one scene to another scene and there's no in between and we don't know how you got from point A to point B. And then the fourth one is, this is hard. Hardly anybody does this. Take your time and to the best of your ability, it's your own journey and it's going to take as long as it takes. And it's okay if you're not the 19-year-old wonderkin. It's okay if you're not Mm -hmm. 30 and you already have a television show. It's okay if you're 45 and you have kids and you're a graphic design and you want to go into animation. Everybody's journey is different. Everybody's learning style is different. It takes everybody a different amount of time to get in. You haven't failed. You're just not in yet. And that's okay. That's so great. Honestly, I don't even have to ask my last question. You beat me to it. That's amazing. (laughs) Final parting words and final advice. Yeah, and it was great meeting you. Yes. So great having you (laughs) on. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed our interview with Angela, please rate and follow us on Anchor, Spotify, or wherever you tune in. We're officially on Apple Podcasts now, so please leave us a review. That will help us so much in their algorithm. Uh, Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at StraightAheadAP. Thank you to Colton Davis for suggesting Angela as a guest. If you have any suggestions for future guests, please contact us on social media or send us an email at straightaheadpodcast at gmail.com. We love discovering new professionals and want to use this platform to boost these voices of the future. And finally, a big thanks to our music composer, Daniel Rodier. Thanks again for listening, and thank you once again to our guest who has a bright future straight ahead. Until next week, have a wonderful day. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye, everybody.